This is tape number seven of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven, by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, What Heaven is Like, Inhabitants and Scenery. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number seven, What Heaven is Like, Inhabitants and Scenery, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, you know that we are on a year-long journey studying faith, and we're beginning that journey by studying heaven. And... I'm going to begin another little mini-series today within that heaven segment on what heaven is like. I'm doing it for two reasons. The first reason is because many people have misapprehensions of heaven or misunderstandings mis, uh, of heaven. Um, we, we have some pretty silly theology that I, I, we can't quite track down where it came from, but it didn't come from Scripture. Um, and that probably comes from putting uh, two, carrying the, uh, a literal interpretation uh, uh, way, way too far. I mean, we got, we got our literalism upon the Bibles. C.S. Lewis once said, you know, heaven by definition is outside the realm of our experience. But those who were filled with the Holy Ghost and wrote this Bible had to use terms inside our experience. Any intelligible description of heaven must be with terms inside of our experience. And so therefore, we must understand that that which we see of heaven is only an image. It's a different world than this earth. It's an accurate image if it comes out of here, but it's just an image. And so um, we do it partly to correct our image of heaven. Many people, again, uh, have some mistaken ideas. Some people think that when we die, we're going to turn into angels. It doesn't say that in here. As a matter of fact, it says in here that angels are a distinctly different race of beings from people. You will never be an angel. You will always be a person. It doesn't say in here you get wings. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say in here angels have wings. It just says cherubim have wings. It says that uh, 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 zoet have wings. Certain creatures have wings. It doesn't say angels have wings. Why would they need wings? It doesn't say you get wings. You don't have to worry about your wings. It doesn't say in here you play the harp. I hear, I hear people say, oh, I don't want to go to heaven and play the harp. Well, like God wants to hear you play the harp. <laughs> Who would that be heaven for, you know? There are certain harpists in heaven. You don't have to become one of them. So there are a lot of uh, misunderstandings about heaven. So we want to just be able to say what Scripture has told us about heaven and no more. But the other reason that we study heaven 
is so that we can prepare adequately for the life that we will live because our future affects us now. And as you come more and more into understanding the life that you will live for the rest of your life, you are conformed to it now. God didn't just come to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into us. Now, many of you know uh, this analogy. I've said it before. Uh, My boys, from time to time, have prayed consistently for their wives. I have three boys. Only one of those boys knew who their wife is going to be. One's engaged. And so now he knows who he's praying for. He doesn't know what marriage is. Hasn't got the foggiest. Won't know till he gets there. And even then, it'll only be a day at a time. But at least he knows who he's... Now, these other two, they pray consistently for their wives... What good does that do? Well, it does quite a bit of good. First of all, they say, God, be with my wife. Protect her. Bring her to yourself. Make her love Christ. But then they say, and prepare me for her. Prepare my life for what she needs in the way of a man, in the way of a spiritual leader. You see, in doing that, even though they don't know what marriage is, even though they don't know who their wife is yet, still, their life is being conformed right now by that repetition. To understand they don't live life on their own. To say, my life is being prepared for partnership with somebody. And even now, they are being conformed to partnership. So, for that same reason, we study heaven in order to be conformed to that life. And we don't need to wait there. Wait till then to be conformed. Now, if you have your scriptures with you, would you turn to Revelation chapter 21? And we will just give a short lesson today on the environment of heaven. The architecture, the nature, the population. We will continue this more later. For those of you who want uh, more full details, I won't be able to preach through all the sermon outline today. You might grab one on the way out because there are many scripture references that uh, you can research and find more exact details. But today, I want to talk just a little bit about the architecture and the nature that is seen in heaven and how that affects the way we see architecture and nature and population today. Start with me with verse 22. And I saw no temple in it. Now, all the way through Revelation up to this time, there's been a temple, there's been a tabernacle, there's been an altar. All the way through the Bible up to this time, there's been that. But in this new heaven, in the new earth, there's no temple. The temple was the most important piece of architecture the world has ever seen. It is where the chosen people understood that God resided. But in heaven... There is no temple. Why not? It's not needed. Why not? It explains it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So, architecture is transformed from being useful to being personal. Read more with me. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. 
the two bodies of light that governed the night and governed the day and at creation were so instrumental are not needed anymore. Nature, therefore, is not needed as nature per se. Why not? It tells us. For the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lamp is the Lamb. I love that. And the third element we just want to touch on today is the population of heaven. We are surrounded not only by past architecture and not only by past nature, but by a population of heaven. Look at verse 24. And the nations shall walk by its light. People of every tribe and every nation, it says in Revelation chapter 4. The nations shall walk by its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory, that is the nation's glory, we we learn in verse 26, their glory into it. They are going to have a glory that they bring into it. They transport into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. This is just a parenthetical thought. All of our lives, we stake out boundaries to our lives. And we must, for we will be overrun by that which would totally exhaust it and that, and that which is alien to our call and to our purpose. In, the, in, in heaven, there are no boundaries that you need because we are all called together. The boundaries are no more. It's absolute security. It's absolute fellowship. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to think just for a moment about how you see the place where you live. It may be a home. It may be an apartment. It may be some other dwelling. I don't know. How do you see it? Most people, as they look at the architecture of their life, whether it be their home or their car or their place of business, would see architecture as something, A, to keep the rain off their heads, and B, that requires maintenance. God would have you today to begin to see that architecture as an avenue or a window to Him. You need to understand that your house or your apartment is a sanctuary of God. Why? Well, Steve Brown told us last week, where the people of God is, there is God. That's where God resides. Therefore, your house is not just a house, it's a church. It's the dwelling of God. And therefore, as you look at it, you need to see it as a church. I live in a church. Your car. Most of us see our cars. Our poor old cars. As just four wheels trying to get us someplace. That has X number of payments left. And every time it breaks down, we get frustrated out of our mind. What is our car? Our car is a frustration. Or, the other end, if you've got a really nice car, 
It's a means of expression. <laughs> huh? But you know what your car is? It's a tabernacle. Your car is a place where God resides with you. Many of you think of your business as just a place where you earn money to keep up your car, to keep up your house. Your business is a sanctuary, is a temple. Why? Because God is there with you and with the other believers in Christ. Now, you say, my business. You don't know about my business here. I knew about the temple. The temple has its court of Gentiles. The temple had the, 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 the non-believers that never got to the Holy of Holies, but, but it also had the residence of God in it. The residence of God is in your business. You know why? Because there are Christians there. Your business is a temple. God wants you to see it as such. One of my favorite poets is Emily Dickinson. And she wrote these sweet and accurate words. I love these words. All circumstances are the frame in which his face is set. Your house is not just a house. It's a frame in which God wants you to see his face. Same with your car. Same with your business. And so God would have us walk out of here today knowing that the places that we have seen either for their responsibility or for their beauty, in heaven they are quite beside the point because all places in heaven are direct venues to God and it should be that way on this earth. What about nature? When was the last time you really appreciated nature? Now some of you, if you are gardeners, appreciate very much nature. Most of us have been too busy after we got off the farm to take much note of nature. Oh, sometimes when we're driving in our tabernacle, facing the west, and it's about sunset, we see some pretty clouds. And we say, God, thank you for that. But to actually contemplate the Creator through the creation... We don't take much time to do that. But I want you to see that in heaven, that's exactly what the sun and the moon are for. They're not needed. They're there so that you can see the greater glory of God. That's why He gives you the beauty He gives you in this world. So that you can see the greater glory of God. I'm not talking pantheism here. I'm not talking about a God who is confined in nature. He is not a prisoner of nature. I'm not talking about hugging a tree. God is not in a tree. Our God is transcendent. The Creator is transcendent from His creation, but it should be noted that He gave us the creation so that we could see Him through it. Again, let me go to Emily Dickinson. One of my favorite uh, poems of hers is about going to church or lack of it. Now, I don't want you to get the idea from this poem that Emily Dickinson uh, never went to church. She did indeed, as a matter of fact, from what one of her poems, there is every indication that she had a crush on a pastor. However, there is also the time that Emily Dickinson took to worship amidst nature. And so she penned these words... 
Some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying home. With bobolink for a chorister and an orchid for a dome. Some keep the Sabbath in surplus, that is, robes. I just wear my wings. (laughs) Instead of ringing the bell for church, our little sexton sings. I love this line. Listen to this. God preaches. A noted clergyman. The sermons are never long. So instead of going to heaven at last, I'm going all along. That's what God would have for us. Going to heaven all along. Seeing God through what He has given us. That's the lesson here. That nature is not to be praised for itself, but it is to be a window to Almighty God. And then there's a third notation, and that is the population that surrounds us in heaven. They are a population of contributors. They are a population of givers. Now, it does not come as any surprise to you that we were made to give. I suspect there's not a person in this sanctuary that is not more content giving than receiving. You know why? Because that's your nature. That's the nature God gave you. He gave you to contribute. He gave you to build up. He gave you to help. When we ask for volunteers in ministries, we don't do it in order to keep an institution alive. We do it so that you will fulfill the people that God made you to be. And I tell you right now, unless you do that, you will be of all people the most frustrated. The most frustrated people in this world are people who, try, who live their whole lives trying to get something. Everybody, everything's wrong with everybody else. And I tell, I'll guarantee you that if you come to this church or any church for long without significantly contributing, you will be angry about something. You know why? Not because there's anything wrong with the church but because you were made to give. And you're going to get tired of it, and you're going to, you know, see, start seeing hypocrites, and start seeing them, yeah, the church doesn't, you know. It's all about giving. That's who we were made to be. So that, is, that part is no surprise. The surprise to me is that we actually can contribute anything to heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. How could we contribute anything of value? But yet, that's what this word says. Look at it. It says, And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. It's glory they already have. Look at verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations, in case you didn't get it the first time, into it, of the peoples of the nations into it. Now this is revolutionary to think that God would so construct the cosmos that He would build a perfect heaven that would become even more perfect because we would bring what we had done for the kingdom along with us. Now, I'm going to talk more about this later, but just let that sink in for a second. That you would actually, by the way you live your life down here, what you give down here, 
you would actually contribute to heaven. I got just one illustration of that. Uh, and then, and then I'll, I'll close. And, and it's a wonderful song. When I grew up in, uh, in my hometown church, most of my family is Roman Catholic, but I had a religious grandmother who was Methodist, old-time Methodist, old-time proper Methodist. And most of you know that I attended First Methodist Church, Shelby, Ohio, where all of the people were very distinguished, it seemed to me, to a small boy. The men all wore pinstripe suits and had good posture. And the women wore hats. To this day, I love to see a woman wearing a hat in church. Women wore hats that were filled with fruit and, <laughs> and feathers and lace and veils. And they also had very good posture with very serious looks. And the minister, the Reverend Dr. Stanley J. Shoemaker, most distinguished individual. Well, in our church, we observed Lent every year, as high churches are wont to do. And, and by the way, we also, this Wednesday, have the Ash Wednesday service communion here at noontime. And I hope that you will somehow observe Lent this year, maybe by sacrificing something in order to prepare yourself for the celebration of Easter. But that's what we did. And, and, but in, the, in First Church Shelby, Ohio, on Wednesday evenings, we had uh, potluck dinners. Now, potluck dinners uh, are kind of a weird way of fasting. Um, we, didn't, we didn't give up near as much as we, as we ate in that church. As, as a lot of uh, smaller churches do. So we had these, we, they, they, all the ladies would, would bring uh, their absolute best dishes. Absolute best dishes. And of course you'd line it up all on these long tables and they'd have tables set up and we'd have a program afterwards. But, but everybody looked forward to that eating time together. By the time I was a teenager, I didn't really want to go very badly, but out of respect for my grandmother, I did. And I have to admit, I really did look forward to the food because the food was so great. I mean, women fixed food like they wore hats. It, it was decorative and delicious and, 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 and you didn't do like, you know, if I'm going to, to a potluck these days, I, you know, I stop by the deli and get two pounds of tater salad, you know, and try and put it in my own bowl, you know, you didn't do that. You wouldn't just slap together baked beans if you knew somebody else was going to bring something French, you know. So here are all of these delicious, decorative, sumptuous banquet food brought in porcelain bowls with silver utensils lined up and down these tables. I can remember one... <laughs> one... Wednesday evening, I was sitting there, you know, wishing some of my cronies were there. I was the only teenage guy there that night. And I saw this grandmother dragging in by the scruff of the neck, this little kid who did not want to be there. You could tell that she had gotten him ready for church way too early <coughs> because he had the right clothes on, but they, he was mud from head to foot. And you could tell he didn't want to be there at all. Thank you very much. 
As a matter of fact, to appease him, she had bought, brought, bought him a, a box of animal crackers. Remember those animal crackers? They had the little, they were like little uh, circus uh, things, and you could, little bars, and you could see through the animals, and they had a little string on them. And you carried by the string, the, the boxes had strings, you know. So here this kid comes in, he's been drugged, you know. She sets him down in a seat. <clears throat> it's just about to begin. Dr. Stanley J. Shoemaker is about to give a wonderful, appropriate blessing. And, and, and all these ladies are, are ceremoniously uh, 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 taking the, the lids off of their things and putting, them, putting the silverware just right, you know. This kid breaks open this box of animal crackers and reaches this dirty old hand down in that thing. God knows where that hand had been. Dirty old hand starts eating those animal crackers, you know. Watching these ladies all go up and putting stuff on the table. Well, he got about two crackers in his mouth. And he looked at that box, looked at what all those ladies were doing, got up from his chair and went and deposited his box of animal crackers right in the middle of those dishes. Now, I'm seeing this along with everybody else. And I'm real curious about what's going to happen. Well, Dr. Stanley J. Schumacher does give a, a wonderful blessing. And, and then, of course, he appropriately says, well, now table number one will go first and gives the, you know, uh, the, the usual kidding about sitting in the wrong place and he chose wrong tonight and all that. So table one, number one. This kid was in about the fourth table. And I was somewhere down the line. And so I could see him, see him watching this box, wondering if anybody was going to take what he had brought. And here comes the first ladies down the line. Boy, was it. I, I mean, and she, the first lady, very proper lady, got to this box. She looks down into the box. Now, the image was still strong. This kid sticking this old, dirty hand down in that box. That hand that God knew where that hand had been. Nobody else did. She reached down into the box. Got one animal cracker out turned to the lady behind her and said, I got a lion. <laughs> Put it somewhat ceremoniously and very appreciative on her plate. And every person that passed by that box very carefully looked in and took out an animal cracker very grateful for the contribution. That's what heaven's going to be like. We're not much. We don't give much. But it'll be as appreciated as anything that was perfect from eternity to eternity because that's the nature of God. To love us who give back. That's what we must look for. That's why we look to heaven, in order to remember that perspective. Now it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we see in a glass darkly, through a glass darkly, it says, dia, through a glass darkly. But then we'll see face to face. But it also says this, as we look for God, remember this. As we look for Him in every circumstance of our life, in the architecture, in the nature, in the people who are giving, as we find Him, we will become like He is. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, 
Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Pray with me. God, help us to look for You in all of the circumstances of life. Help us, Lord God, to see You more clearly. Bring Your Holy Spirit to us so that we will be able to recognize You where You are. And help us, Lord God, as we look to You and see You, to not only see You in terms of how life will be when we get to heaven, but to see You in terms of how You are making life right now. Not only in terms of how close to You we can be someday, but how close you are to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's as though we see through clouded glass Our eyes cannot see past this veil of tears, our present pain. This world can never comprehend a love that Light that always will remain for them beyond the edge of time is wisdom so divine, the throne of truth, the shining way. And in majesty he'll come to take his people home and in that bright and glorious day we Beauty of his face. 
That's the challenge for our lives today. Let me ask uh, the prayer team to come and uh, to make themselves available to you as the congregation. Let me ask you to consider two things today. First of all, if you are not absolutely certain about where you would go if you died in the next minute, you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and be assured of your salvation. Don't play with this concept of heaven. And we want you, as God wants you, to be able to be confident that heaven is your destination. These people can help you pray that prayer. Commit your life to Christ. Secondly, some of you are going through some very, very difficult times right now, and you're having trouble seeing where God is in that circumstance. And you need to stand with a brother or sister in Christ and pray that God would reveal himself, not just his will, but himself in that circumstance. You need to pray with them. So I'll ask you to, uh, uh, those of you who, who need to pray about something, I, I may not even have mentioned it, but you just need to pray with somebody. Come talk with Dr. Moulton, talk with Dick here, and he'll, he'll point you to the right person. I know that you have to swim upstream in order to do that, but that's part of the price of prayer, and it's well worth it. Now let me give us the benediction. Let us go from this place looking for God in every place, in every circumstance, in every bit of scenery we have in all of the people in which we live, with which we live. And let us see Christ as he gives us the insight we need. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.